This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. It's Madam Adams. It is Sunday afternoon. I am here ready to roll. My name is Adams, Cindy Adams, the New York Post columnist, four days a week. And you better read me and you better listen to me because I'm about to get semi-interesting. Now, New Yorkers jammed Hollywood Reporters Party this week. A big party. The earliest arrival was from Fox TV. Rosanna Scotto, the party was Tuesday. I think she is still there. So was Dan Abrams of WABC-TV, CBS's Gail King hobbling because she hurt her leg, and Don Lemon of what once was CNN. Plus schlepping in, Geraldo Rivera, whose mustache quivers whenever he gets on TV. And he said to me, you know, I was married at the same room in 2003. So me, I said, like when? He says, it was August 3. No, no, he said, no, 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 I think maybe August 5. No, August 7. He said it was his fifth wedding. I was enthralled talking to him. Ann Coulter said, I'm doing a podcast. It's great. Good. Candace Bushnell said, I'm doing the Carlisle. It's great. Good. Brooke Shields brought her daughter. The Today Show's trio came all bunched together like a corsage. That was Savannah and Hoda and Jenna. And something named Melanie Roy, R-O-Y, got introduced to me as Rodney Dangerfield's daughter, who designs interiors. Okay. As to my own dazzling importance, I mean, you shouldn't just think of me as a nobody, some young skinny stunner in an apricot skirt, so short it met the color that was beneath. She was so wildly, insanely excited at my presence that she asked me, Miss... Where's the toilet? Nobody at the party was masked. Not Quest Love or Charlemagne the God or a restaurateur whose name is Drew Nieporent and he hasn't missed a party since his bar mitzvah. The wardrobe went from six-inch platform heels to sneakers, if you want to know what wardrobe is today. Tacky, short-leaved, short-sleeved, my teeth are not in properly, tacky, short-sleeved, unironed, untucked shirts were worn by men, and there were models, thinner than my phone, in designer gowns, their necklines plunged below the Dead Sea. And the party's two most glorious, gorgeous blondes were May Musk, That's Elon's mom, who said to me, you know, I'm on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And Sandra Lee, the ex-live-in of ex-Governor Cuomo, who, schlepping her new gent, said, I have never been happier. Okay, out of that. Now on to a change of topics. You know about ex-Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is currently jobless. Comes now Melissa DeRosa. Cuomo's former 
tough lady assistant sort of attack dog. I am told she's writing a book. I am also told everyone's writing a book, even illiterates. She says she is not writing a book and that my information is incorrect. Eh, you can believe whoever you want to believe. If it is so, Cuomo's victims plan to protest it and her. Now I want to tell you about a movie. There's a new movie called Fortress, Sniper's Eye. Its producer, Noel Ashman, is doing his second film with Bruce Willis. Ashman told me, this one we shot in Puerto Rico. Only this time, we knew Bruce's physical situation, so we sort of understood how to handle the work specially. What we did is, we fed him lines through an earpiece. See, what he can do is a small amount at a time, not the big stuff anymore. We planned for Bruce to work a few days at a time, shoot five days, then he's off, he's gone, and then we have actors work around him. We filmed very carefully. We tailored everything to accommodate Bruce. And we kept heavy stuff to a minimum. There are two big action scenes, a beginning and an end. We worked very carefully to show not his weakness. The end of the movie where he kills the bad guy, we shot very carefully. Okay, now I go from the movies to the stage. <laughs> the Tonys. They have now blown how Tony they once were. Our great white way is now not. Audiences are not going. Old-time names are not pulling. Broadway has become shrunk way. Big names need big crowds. You need behinds in seats. Daniel Craig's play slithered. He was 007. The play went from six, five, four, down to three. Then there was Sarah Jessica and her husband. Oh, better we shouldn't discuss it. Deborah Messing's show tanked. And voters, who normally sit for everything, didn't. One big star told me, he said, on stage today is crap. That's his end quote. He said it's repeats, revivals, reruns, oldie names. The thermometer, he said, is tanking. And so what are we going to get next year? Ready? Coming in, Sweeney Todd, again, with Josh Groban this time. Also, Sondheim's Into the Woods, again, this time with Neil Harris. To be or not to be is future life upon that wicked stage. Now, whilst I'm burbling about entertainment, how some famous phrases from some famous faces. Idris Elba actually said, this is his direct quote, women fall in love by what they hear, men by what they see. That is why women wear makeup and men lie. Angelina Jolie, quote, 
expecting a woman to be an angel, a man must create heaven for her first, because angels don't live in hell. Okay, so she's 35 years now in her divorce. We are going on. Me, my great wisdom is this question. Amazon's owner, the one who took a girl from her husband with her children, he is no longer in love with his girlfriend. He is also no longer the world's richest person. So my question is, when last Amazon's owner made love to this longtime lady friend, might that have given new meaning to the word Microsoft? Listen, I'm just asking. Okay, you won't believe this. I got another beauty for you. Off-Broadway's Cherry Lane Theater is playing something called Escape from Daddy Land. It's performed by something called Steve Rubble. Who? Listen, pay attention. Have respect. He is the real son of, ready? Elvis Presley's real proctologist. I wouldn't lie to you. This thing is his own journey, his real own journey from the deep south where he grew up to issues with his father, who, as previously stated, was Elvis's rear-end specialist. This is a Broadway, off-Broadway show. Seems the story is in the show. He plays teenage Elvis. Then the production goes on to where he plays grown-up Elvis. And when the character was a teenager living in Memphis, it was in an apartment below an Orthodox rabbi. This is supposedly the truth. And the little boy, then little Elvis, would be called to turn off this upstairs rabbi's Sabbath lights. An Orthodox rabbi cannot do that. In this show, he then goes on to grow up and he actually impersonates Elvis. Ay, listen, don't ask. This thing has five songs, all original. <laughs> like who'd copy one about a proctologist, right? The songs are written and performed by him. I mean, obviously, Taylor Swift was busy. Anyway, I was offered tickets. I declined. I figured watching a proctologist could maybe be a pain in the ass. Oddly enough, Elvis is now returning in many ways. June will bring us the movie named Elvis. Tom Hanks plays his mentor, Colonel Tom Parker. Daughter Lisa Marie Presley says, I have seen this movie twice. It's spectacular. A newcomer named Austin Butler channeled my father beautifully. Okay, Warner's is sticking Elvis in real theaters June 24. I am now about to take a station break. I will be back instantly thereupon. 
It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Caroline Hirsch is becoming more famous than the Empire State Building. Her Caroline's Comedy Club in the heart of the heart of Broadway has promoted and produced some of our biggest comedy stars. Caroline, I have to talk to you now. Pay attention. Who are some of the names who have played your famous club? Oh, over the ages. Let's go back. Let's go back almost 40 years to Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno and Gary Shandling and Billy Crystal and everybody that's kind of made it in this business today to the generations of the Chris Rocks and the John Stewarts and the Michael Patrick Kings and the Jim Gaffigans and the Bill Burrs and even the were they, were they Were they newcomers when they were at the club? Everybody was kind of new when they were at the club. They they kind of had this small little following that we yeah. helped develop along the way. And then, you know, and then uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Jay, Le- Jay went on The Tonight Show. Jerry had his own sitcom. Larry David was with him. Um, you know, and, and, and the whole industry, it just grew and grew, and comedy got to be a really big business. Were they all grateful later on? Did they come back even when they were big stars? about what happened was is that you know we created the festival gee, almost you know 18 years ago it'll be the 18th year in november for the new york comedy yeah. festival and what happened is that we we're able to work with them again because we can work with a lot of these stars that have kind of graduated from the caroline stage and we produce them all around new york city like at carnegie hall or town hall or the beacon theater or madison square garden so that's been kind of that's been the good thing about it so you know i get to see bill maher Almost every year. Oh, mazel tov to you. A real mazel tov. Ah, okay. I love Bill. <laughs> Bill. Bill's a saucy, got to be a saucy old guy, but he's, he's great. He's really great. How, how did it happen when you were given the lockdown? How did that come about? Well, let's see. We had a sold-out weekend. That weekend, right before Mar- of March 13th, because we closed on March 16th, when the governor said... All live venues, all event spaces like that had to close down, and we did. That was from us. It was Madison Square Garden. It was Carnegie Hall. It was every big entertainment venue had to be shut down by mandate. Mandate. Yeah. And we did not yeah. open till 16 months later. What did you do with everything? What did you do with your food, your staff? What? Oh, that was a whole, you know, it happened, the shutdown happened, I think, Monday the 16th of March, as I remember. We went to the office, looked at each other and go, okay, what do we do now? And then we said, look, you know, we thought it may be a few weeks, a month maybe, we'd be over it. Well, it went on forever. So, you know, of course, then we tried, you know, we had to go into the office, clean out the food, make sure all the systems were shut down, and, uh, you know, the, you know, the gas wasn't leaking. We had to make sure everything in there was clean and tidy. And, you know, there's a lot to shut down a restaurant just to get rid of the food that you have in the refrigerators. Clean everything, make sure everything stays clean. So we did a lot of that. We did a lot of reorganizing. But, you know, we only thought it was going to go on, like, for maybe a month. We had no what idea. What did you do with your staff? What about well, your staff, staff? We had, you know, we had a lot of wait staff. You know, we had, you know, over 20 in waste staff there. They all went on to God knows where, back to stay with their parents, back to the Midwest, back to the West Coast. Um, we had some management, which I was able to keep on. Some people went on to unemployment, and then we were able to, you know, pay some of the people some of the time. But, but my, but the, 
you know, it's like three or four people that really run the company there. And we were all kind of working together, you know, to get through all of this. Caroline, what did you do? I mean, this is like a ridiculous question, but, but, but what did you do with all the food? You had food to feed all these hundreds of people. We, we just, you know, we, we, we gave it away, gave it to staff. People took it home that were, you know, helping us and this and that. But, you know, Cindy, the other thing about not only the waste of food, you know, all the venues had to shut down. I was lucky enough to have a nest egg to carry me through. There were a lot of little clubs around the country. They don't have anything. They went out of business. And the other part of it, just because you're closed doesn't mean the bills ended. You had a telephone bill. You had a Wi-Fi bill. You had all the bills still coming in. That had to be paid. Yeah. So it, it's well, not like you just shut the door and that was the end of that for anybody. You know, and then the electricity bills that, that small little clubs were getting, everybody was complaining. I mean, it, it was, it's a horror show. I don't know how some of these people survived. Well, I do know how they survived because the government did come through with um, Save Our, Our Venues, which helped all these little independent venues around the country. That was how do you know? How do you know know how to keep safe? Are there filters, air conditioning system, masks, disinfect? What do you do? Well, well, we, we, well, my landlord came in and changed all of the filters onto. You know, my landlord. Uh, it, uh, we're in a big office building managed by Heinz, and they came in and changed all the filters to make sure we had all the good stuff that they were putting in the building, which really kind of sucks any kind of virus out of the air. I'm told. You know, you know, we we've been, um, you know, since we reopened last Memorial Day weekend, um, we've been rather a safe club. Uh, hardly any of our staff came down with anything. Very lucky that our performers didn't come down with anything, because you know, if a performer comes down with it, they can't show up for the weekend, and then what do you do? You know, you don't have anybody working there. So, so we. So how do you do that? that how do you fix that? You don't. You could, then you just put a showcase, you know, show in. You know, when you sold all these tickets, like say to see like Joe Jabrowski's there this weekend. You know, he sold. You know, he's almost sold out every show. And you know, God forbid he got sick. Then what would we do? Because you have. Well, to what, be do home. You do? You what do you do? What do you do? You go on the motive. You know, we get other people to come in and work for them. So, but it's not like seeing the same person. It's like seeing the understudy. Are tourists coming now at all? You know. You know, the streets in Times Square, there seems to be a lot of people on the street. Um, I just passed Krispy Kremes, and it looked like they were doing some business the other day. There are people on the street. I don't know if the uh, American, you know, our domestic tourism is back to snuff. I don't oh, it's believe not. Broadway it's not. Is, doing, is doing the numbers that they really need to do. I would say I'm running on, like, 60 to 70%. Okay? Yeah. And, you know, your profit really comes from that extra, you know, 20% on the top. You know, so we're still, you know, we're still trying to, you know, make money at it. It's, 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 been, it's been tough. And you can probably go to anybody in the live event space and they will tell you that. You know, it's been tough. Because you don't want to raise the, ticket what? prices that much. You don't want to raise food prices because they're through the roof. If you've gone to any restaurants lately, you can see what yeah, it's awful. awful. $30 for a salad. I mean, really. I mean, it's that way even at home when you're shopping for your own food. It's frightening. Mm-hmm. It's frightening. It's frightening. 
What about what about now? This I don't know myself, but I have heard about it. What about if they you go into a comedy club, and your tel your cell phones are locked in a sealed bag? What what does that mean? I don't understand that. Well, Cindy, that comes out of the cancel culture. Okay, um, it seems like you know a, a few years ago, somebody would catch something on a cell phone and put it out there, and of course, in a routine, you know, you know from Joey, you can take something right out of context. And it could not, you know, make any sense or could be offensive to somebody. So comedians right now do not want any of their shows taped or videoed or out on Instagram on somebody else's account, you know, unless they give you permission. So that is the idea of locking the cell phone up in a yonder case. It's a little case they give you. They put your phone in it. They lock it. And when you leave the event space, they unlock it for you. We don't do that at Caroline's. So we don't we don't do that. We just that's, say to people they can't use their cell phone. You know, the that's sort of horrible, to. though. I mean, that's horrible <laughs> to take that away from somebody. Isn't it's, it? It's, it's gotten to be like, I, I don't know, it's it's changed so much the world. I don't know. In, in just a few years, it, all of these things have happened to us. I don't know how people haven't had nervous breakdowns with all the stuff around us that's happening to us all at once. Caroline, can people laugh with masks on? They can. We don't have that mandate at the club. We're allowed not to wear masks. In theater, theater you have to wear a mask. You still, I went to an off-Broadway show the other evening. I went to see Sarah Silverman's show, which is hilarious, but you had to wear a mask. So, But you don't have to wear a mask uh, at Caroline's. <laughs> What about the humor that has changed? I mean, everybody is so nervous. You can't mention color. You can't mention fat. You can't mention age. You can't mention race. Um, I was married to a comedian for a thousand years, and they did all of these jokes, and we all laughed. It was harmless. Now you can't say anything. Don't they have to now tailor humor? Absolutely. It's the cancel culture, and every comedian is afraid of that. They're really afraid of being canceled. I mean, once somebody gets on a social network and gets out there and says, oh, do you know who said this or said that, without knowing the whole text of what happened, it's horrible. Look, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, has told people, he won't even go to a college anymore. He goes, screw that, I'm not, I'm not even playing colleges anymore. Because they, you know, they, they get offend, offended at the slightest little twinge of, you know, what you say. He doesn't do that anymore. I, I mean, and, and I, comics I, are very, very aware of that. They are. Do they all steal from each other? No, 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 I wouldn't think so. The only time, you know, people kind of get accused of stealing is that, you know, comedians kind of all think alike. So, yeah, there might be two jokes about the same thing. So, you know, it's going over. Not really. No, not really. In the 40 okay. years I've been doing it, that really doesn't happen. Forty years, my God! I saw you the other day in daylight, and you look terrific. Oh, well, thank you. you. I don't even go out in daylight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? What? If, what about crime and Times Square? I don't see the police commissioner schlepping around Times Square. What is happening there? I don't know. I wish we really did see the police commissioner. I think it would give everybody a little more uh, hope about what's going on. I really do. Instead of the mayor getting out there, I want to see the, I want to see her. I want to see the police commissioner and I Nobody want to see has her seen out her. There. No. She's undercover. No. But, she's um, undercover. She's got cops watching her. Nobody nobody has seen her anywhere. 
you know, the, the police, um, let's put it out there. City Council in Albany has tied the police hands. They really can't do much. Then they won't do it because they're told they're not supposed to be doing it. You know, we have street peddlers. We have this and that. We have, you know, in a, I don't know. The crime, it kills me. I was crying the other night when that little girl was shot because they were shooting at somebody else. It's just, it's just terrifying. I feel like I'm back in 1970 again, looking over my shoulder as I walk down the street. It's scary. I know it's scary. And I also know that Carolines, we need Carolines. We need the humor and we need people like you. And I need you to invite me down to the club because I haven't been invited in uh, 20 well, years. You know, when you, you want to go out, you, you absolutely. We have some great, great people coming in. Please come out. I check love you. Schedule I will. And I will. I will. I will. Okay. And thank you for dinner the other night, honey. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Bye, sweetie. See you soon. Bye-bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Judy Gold is probably our most famous female doing comedy, stand-up comedy. She's smart. She's in clubs. She's on TV. She does concerts, one-nighters. She's funny. And the New York Times just did a piece on her. Okay, Judy. So, my high-class friend, Judy Gold. So, tell me, how did you originally start being a funny lady? How did you originally start doing comedy? You know, someone actually uh, dared me to do it in college, and it, uh, it was our secret Santa, and um, every, <laughs> it was ridiculous, but everyone got a note on their door from their secret Santa uh, with an assignment. And you didn't find out it, this went on for a week and you didn't find out who your secret Santa was until the, the holiday party. And so my secret Santa literally, you know, said you have two days to prepare a, a, a routine using everyone who lives on the floor <laughs> as, as material. And I did it. I mean, I was 19 years old. And I got my first laugh, and that was the end. I just thought, you know, it was like an epiphany. Like, I, this is I what know, I'm meant I know, to do. I know, I know. Uh, today, today comedy has changed. I am told, I've, I mean, Caroline at Caroline's Comedy Club was just telling me earlier that there are people now who take your telephone away, your cell phone away when you're working Absolutely. in a club. What does that, what is that? Tell me about that. You know, 
first of all, thank God people are doing that because what, you know, I think it's sort of a sacred space, a comedy club for comedians where we can, we can try out material. I mean, it's the only art form where you see a work in progress. And as George Carlin famously said, it is the duty of the comedian to find the line, cross it, and bring the audience along with you and make them glad that you did. And so what has happened is people, not only the basic, oh, I'm going to look at my phone in the middle of your set, which is so awful to see from a stage, um, but people will take videos and they'll, they'll post them without context. And destroy people's careers, essentially. Um, but the fact that it, you can go to even a Broadway show and, and you know, not have the ability to turn off your phone for a couple of hours, uh, that's an illness to me. I think that's an illness. Also, they can t- take your jokes, can't they, if, they, if they li- they they're listening to you? Yeah, take it, take them out of context. Um, and also, I, I don't know, it, it, the attention span has gotten so small uh, yeah, of, yeah, of audience members. It's, it's really alarming. Can you do today religious jokes, fat jokes, elderly jokes? What can you do anything anymore? I mean, I was married to a comedian for a thousand years. He made fun of everything and we all laughed. But you can't do that any longer. Well, you know, the world has changed. Um, the world is a way different place than it was. We've evolved. Words have different meanings. Uh, the world is smaller, essentially. You can joke about, my theory is you can make a joke about anything as long as it's funny, as, as long as it's a well-crafted joke. But gratuitous use of epithets or just making fun of people, uh, it's not, it isn't funny. Um, you have to be good at the craft. Yeah, but some of them were good at the craft before. Oh, absolutely. And still went I mean, into those ways. Yeah, like I, I think of Don Rickles. Yeah, um, oh God, yes. Yes, 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 yes. And Don was hilarious. And you think about how audience members would leave who didn't get, who did not get picked on by him or singled out by him would leave the show feeling like they got cheated because his whole, I mean, entire act was based on we're all the same. We all have Michigas. We all have, we're, you know, we're just human beings. Um, I remember him peeing on me. I mean, he peed on everybody. Right. And people loved it. It was a badge of honor, but not anymore. Not anymore. Okay, so you have to craft different kinds of humor. Is that correct? Well, you have to be a little more thoughtful. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's also, Cindy, everyone takes everything personally, as if it's all about them. And it's not. No comedian was thinking about your childhood trauma or whatever you're going through <laughs> yes, right yes. now when they were yes. hitting their material. It's just. And if you don't like a joke, and if you don't like a comedian, you have a choice to get up and leave, to change the station, to turn it off. But you don't have to vilify that person or try to silence them because you find something that they're saying 
not to be not funny. Did anybody ever harass you? I mean, there, you you just did a piece in the New York Times that I read, which was a very thoughtful piece. Have you ever had anybody stand up and be aggravated by something you've said while you're working? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it happens all the time. There's no fourth wall, and it's part of the part of the craft, I guess. But you know, hecklers. It used to be you had security there because of hecklers or people getting drunk or, you know, it used to, our warnings when, before we got on stage, be careful, there's a bachelorette party and they're wasted. You know, now yeah, it's people yeah. with knives. It's, it's gotten out of control. You know, you're, vilif- you're vilifying, you're blaming the wrong people. A comedian gets on stage for one reason, to make you laugh. That's it. And it, it don't like the joke if you don't like sarcasm don't go see a sarcastic comic if you don't like prop acts then don't go see a prop act it's up to you people are not taking responsibility uh amongst themselves and also the other element is the fact that people are taking things uh you know you can take a joke many ways but what's the way the comedian intends it to be the comedian if you take the comedian's intent out of the formula, then there's no comedy because you're just deciding I'm going to be offended because they said that word or talking about this topic instead of, you know, it's a, it's an extension of our First Amendment. We're just trying to make you laugh, and sometimes we miss. Are there today, with, with restaurants closing and people not able to afford and people not able to work, are there enough places for people like you to be working? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because as much as we talk about um, what's going on and how offended people are getting and all that kind of stuff, you know, people, the audiences have been amazing because they need to laugh. People need to laugh. People I know, are I know. coming in yeah. and, and it's, it's a release. It's a, a joke. It's a buildup of tension and then a release. And people, especially now need to go sit somewhere and just laugh. It, it is, I think it's an important mental health thing. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot. I think comedy's doing great. People are doing stand-up all over the place. I, I, I frequent the Comedy Cellar. There's four rooms going on at once, four comedy shows at once going on there. So, yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of places. Judy, in your old days, maybe even today, although you're so good at what you do, did you ever fall on your behind? Did you ever do a lousy show that just stunk and it didn't work? Of course. <laughs> it's part of the whole process. Uh, you know, it's usually, it's funny because when the audience comes to you, when you're in your home club uh, and the audience comes to your space, you are at an advantage than when you go to someone else, when someone hires you for a private party or a private function. It, it's always the psychology of that is it's much harder for the comedian who is hired for a small group of people who think, all right, come on, let's go. Yeah. Make us laugh, you know, on their turf. That is always yeah. much harder for a comedian. So those shows are much more difficult. Um, but of course, you just don't know what's going to happen. You, the, you know, you don't know what ha- these people in the audience have. 
the room can be too cold. They could have gotten in a fight with their spouse on the way there. You just don't know. There's so many factors that are out of your control. So how do you handle a heckler? Do you well, have some jokes? I, do you have some lines that uh, work? I, you know, it used to be where I would engage with them and just shut them down. Um, <laughs> and it was sort of a game, yeah. you know, like, please. Because, you know, we're armed. Comedy is a weapon. You know, we have armor. We And now I just, I, you know, after doing this for so long, I'm just like, shut up. I mean, like, really? How much attention do you need? <laughs> Do I go to your job and start screaming at you, you know, while you're adding numbers? No. So shut up. I understand that. I tried it once, thousand years ago. I bombed. I was just lousy. So I have such respect for guys like you who do what you do. It is such talent. Do you steal anything or do you always write your own stuff? Or is there a pro out there who does? Never, never, never. Uh, That is the number one rule. You'd never steal people's material. But, you know, but of course there are times where I'm thinking, oh, I wish I thought of that joke. But it's, yeah, no, Uh, that is a no-no, number one. And, you know, it's such a tight-knit community. We all know. We all know each other's material. So no one gets away with that. Okay, give me one smart-ass line, if you know one, about New York today. I mean, we're all crapping about New York, how lousy it is. Do you have anything you could tell us about New York? Well, I do. The only thing I talk, I mean, talk about New York, these uh, suckers that are out in the middle of the street that now the all these restaurants have taken up the parking spots because of COVID, and now they're continuing. Like, who eats in the middle of the street? I am just waiting for a truck to come and people are going to be like, oh, is that brain not matter? Oh, no, it's ricotta cheese. It's ridiculous. No, I know. I know. I know. The other day I was eating out in the street and instead of getting COVID, I was nearly hit by a bus. It's the same thing. And there are roaches and mice and all kinds of things. Oh, it's I don't understand. We. When I go to a restaurant and they're like inside or out, like I, who wants to eat outside? Cars <laughs> and the people like stopping you. Give me some bread, you know. No. Okay, where are are you? Are you working anywhere near us in the next few weeks where we can see you, or applaud oh, you, or pee yes. on you, or do something? Yes, please. I love getting peed. Um, <laughs> I am at the Wall Street Theater. Uh, on June 2nd, that's in Norwalk, Connecticut, with Jessica Kirsten. We're doing a show together, which uh, she's she's hilarious. And then uh, I am doing uh, in Montclair, New Jersey, uh, Pride, Montclair Pride on June 11th. But I am Provincetown. I work in Provincetown, Massachusetts, fall, summer. So, But I'm doing shows around the, around the tri-state area as well. Listen, I love you, and I read about you in the New York Times, and I've been calling you, and I'm so glad to speak to you, and I think you're wonderful, honey. Oh, thank you, Cindy. Feelings are mutual. We'll see each other soon. Thank you, sweetie. Thanks, Judy. I hope so. You're welcome. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. 
It's election season. We're always electing somebody. Everybody in Albany is on parole. So who cares who gets elected? But I want to talk about our politicians, most of whom I don't like to talk to or about. Biden, he has sucked around for years, but he has accomplished zero except for his sons. Have a look at predecessors who limped before. John Adams, 1789, he was our first vice president. His bio says he was reduced to that sorriest of political things, an elder statesman waiting hopefully for people to ask his advice. Yeah, like now, like we're all rushing to ask the mayor's advice if he could be found anywhere except at a saloon. John Quincy Adams, 1824. Historically, he only won because, this is a quote, none of the other candidates were winning a majority of the votes. Like now, like remember our recent gerrymandering, they were all Democrats, they were done by Democrats, they were in Democratic territory, they lost, and the Democratic judges told them they had to redo it. They were that stupid. Those are our politicians. Going back, James Knox Polk, a nobody dark horse candidate, because bitterly divided Democrats, which is what they always are, couldn't decide between John Calhoun and Van Buren. Like now, remember the name Rutherford Hayes? His mud-slinging election was, until today, the most bitterly contested in our history. The campaign was called the Great Swap. They poked fun at him. Yeah, like now they don't or shouldn't. Grover Cleveland. He won by the smallest margin in history. 23,000 votes. He meddled as little as possible, and he just affixed his signature, like now. Chester Allen Arthur, 1881 to 1885. He was judged highly forgettable, like the ones we have now. His ability was held in what is known as, quote, low esteem. Remember de Blasio? Ranking high was Chester Allen Arthur's taking care of himself, like maybe now? Benjamin Harrison, he was standoffish. To protect against infection like the days are today, he stayed away from everyone. He was a loner. He even wore gloves when shaking hands, like almost now. William Henry Harrison, 1841, he, before Biden, was the oldest gent elected. He was too proud to wear an overcoat the freezing morning of his inauguration, and so he expired one month after he was elected. It brings me to John Tyler. He was expelled from his Democratic Party, and he defected to the Whigs, W-H-I-G-S. He was the first president to have a veto overridden by Congress, and his entire cabinet 
resigned. What the hell is it that makes somebody want to be a politician? Is it the fact that they don't want to work? They don't want to have to worry about goods coming in or employees quitting? Is it because they don't want to have to give money to their wives? What makes a politician a politician? They're all useless. Ulysses S. Grant, he was actually called useless. He was an unkempt boozer. He flunked business. He flunked farming. He flunked real estate. He governed by neglect. His second term was dirtied by dark doings, graft, scandal, corruption. Martin Van Buren, he was called a fox for his shrewd maneuvering. In the panic of 1837, 618 banks closed and paralyzing depression ensued. Being a smoothie and one who always watched his behind, he alone survived. Zachary Taylor never voted in any presidential election. No prior knowledge whatsoever of the presidential process. Once in office, he found himself, quote, at a total loss, much like the guy we have in the White House now. Franklin Pierce, beset by problems, he tried to please everyone, but it was a thin washout, and he was vilified as a dough-faced Democrat. Listen, like I've said, everyone in Albany is on parole. All of these guys, they don't want to work. That's what makes politicians. James Buchanan, like everyone today, he rushed out a book, the ponderous title, Mr. Buchanan's Administration on the Eve of the Rebellion. How's Andrew Johnson? His presidency incited an impeachment for high crimes and misdemeanors. Its trial dragged on humiliatingly. He escaped by one lone vote, and he managed to finish his hopeless term. Hey, Warren Harding, he accomplished zero. Little, rampant wrongdoing, highest tariffs in U.S. history, barnacled with scandal, graft, campaign manager was even tried for corruption. Hey, what brings us back to Albany? Calvin Coolidge, conservative, with the Yankee virtue of simplicity and incorruptibility. He actually said, quote, there is no right to strike against the public safety by anybody, anywhere, anytime. I don't know what that meant, because nobody ever spoke to him. And let nobody forget to include Thomas Jefferson. His ideas included the decimal system, which included the pennies, which now everybody forgets and the bank doesn't even want. An alphabet soup of actors have played Lincoln. Joe Piscopo, who's on this station, once played Jimmy Carter. Brian Cranston played LBJ. James Brolin was Reagan. Martin Sheen, George Washington. Jefferson was ja Paul Giamatti. Teddy Roosevelt, Anthony Hopkins. John Quincy Adams, Kevin Kline. 
U.S. Ulysses, my, my teeth are in the way of my speech right now. Ulysses S. Grant was John Voigt, FDR, Tom Selleck, and Eisenhower. Listen, the industry says maybes who could play Donald Trump are Jeff Bridges, John Travolta, DiCaprio, Christian Bale, Daniel Day-Lewis, and for the First Lady, they say maybe Meryl Streep or Helen Mirren, mostly because they play everyone. There are no tryouts to maybe try to play Biden because he hasn't any lines to say other than point me to the gentleman's toilet. It's on the main floor. Here's a little poem. It's called Hyden Biden. Democrats had a little man. His hair was white as snow. And everywhere the candidate went, his caregivers sure to go. That is only in America, kids. Only in America.